Father in heaven, we're so thankful to thee that we can be gathered here in your house in this morning. Lord, we're thankful for the warmth of fellowship that we could experience, for the moving of thy spirit that we can feel in our midst, and that we can claim the promise of thy spirit's continued blessing with us and teaching from your word. Lord, we pray that our minds and our hearts could be focused upon the message that we are each uniquely supposed to receive and and even collectively as we would worship together. Lord, we're mindful of those who can't be with us. I want to pray in particular for the Ebbingers, for Brother Jim is struggling with a cold and not feeling well. Lord, it's it's going around and, and we can see it in all of our midst, the the health struggles of this this particular season. And so, Father, we just pray that you'd watch over them, that you'd encourage them and give them strength and, and recovery so that we can gather and worship together again soon. Lord, we're mindful of others that may be under the weather and, and just pray that thy spirit would minister to them as well and impart a blessing where it's needful for each of their hearts in this day as well. And so now as we would look into your word, pray your blessing upon it, pray that we would be here with open arms and or open eyes and ears to hear what is needful for each of us and for it will thank thee in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I ask you to turn with me to... Isaiah, book of Isaiah, chapter 9. We will be in a number of different places today, but start in the book of Isaiah. Believe it or not, we are at the first Sunday of Advent, and as we try to do and are, are encouraged to do, we, we like to look at the themes of Advent. And, and the first theme, you know, and I've struggled with this because I don't ever, I don't know if there's actually, if it's metered out that each Sunday has to be, you know, the first one is hope and then the joy and peace, if it has to work that way, because it, every note I find says that you can kind of mix them up. But I've chosen this morning, and I think I'm following the correct path, to look at the Advent of hope. Um. Having spent a bunch of time in Isaiah over the last year in, in our studies, we, we marveled at how many different prophecies we could see, and, and ones that are very familiar to us, about how the prophet Isaiah spoke about the coming of the Lord and, and told this to the children of Israel some you know, 750 or almost 800 years before Christ. And... So the verses that we'll read, and I guess maybe we'll, let's, let's do that. We'll read the first seven verses in chapter 9 of Isaiah. It says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at first he lighted upon the afflicted, he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, as a man rejoice when he divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, 
But this shall be with the burning and fuel of fire. Excuse me. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and the peace shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Verses 1 and one through 7 of, of Isaiah chapter 9. When I think of, when I think of the word hope, it's a it's a unique one because when we talk about the advent of hope, we 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 know what we're we're, we're speaking of the the coming Messiah, Christ coming, and the hope that He brings for the to the world. But if you would sit down with somebody on the street, or even I'd, I'd venture to say with our our kids, um, and say, "What is hope?" What would they say? Hope is something that you look at like. It's almost hard to, to define the word hope without using the word, right? Hope is something that you hope is going to happen in the future. Something that you're, you're wishing would happen. The kids for the last couple of weeks have been getting some of the catalog. It's a little different than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, that the JCPenney catalog would come or the Lego catalog or the Toys R Us catalog would come and we would you know, go looking through there and we had a dollar amount that we weren't allowed to exceed Although I always tried to get, you know, five, six bucks over that limit. And I would circle the things and then you'd circle that. Um, sometimes we even cut them out, I think. We'd cut out the, the gifts that, we, that fit in our price range or fit in Omi and Opa's price range. And then we would give them, you know, the catalog, the scrapbook of what we were hoping to get at Christmas. This is much the same now for us. We have gotten the texts and the calls from the aunts and uncles and grandparents saying, well, what do the kids want? Well, that's easy. Everything. They want everything. Just ask them. But what are the things that fit in their price ranges? And they go through, and I think it was at mom's house a couple weeks ago, the Lego catalog had come, and Max, not exaggeratingly, literally, circled every Lego set through the book. Which I'm glad that it's Legos and not something else. But in any case... He's hopeful that every one of those things that is getting circled is, is what's going to show up. Um, another just cute anecdote. It was Lukey's birthday, not last week, but the week before. And he opened some presents last Sunday night. And one of the presents he opened, as, I mean, it's Lukey, so you can imagine his reaction. He said, it's, just, it's, it's exactly what I always wanted. Like leaning back and hand, like just the expression on his face is exactly what he always wanted. What he was hoping for. Mind you, he had never seen this thing before, had no idea it was coming, probably had no idea what it was when he opened it. But his reaction was it was what I was always hoping for, what I always wanted. But that hope is something that like, it's, it's wishful thinking. On a negative side, because of course I got to go negative a little bit. We have those experiences where a couple years ago, there was two weeks to, sp to slow the spread, right, with COVID. We were hoping things would get better. 
But we had absolutely no idea how things would unfold. We shut down church. We, did all, we made all of these um, conditions. We, we fixed all of these things in hopes that something would, would be better. There was an educated guess. There was consideration. We, we were circumspect about things. It wasn't a shot in the dark per se, but we were still hopeful because we had no idea. Living as the children of Israel for 700 some years, almost 800 years, they were hopeful that this that was promised to them that their prophet had written about was going to come to pass at some point. They were hopeful that when he said, a child is born, a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder. They had, for years and years and years since this was written, they would look around every corner and see with every rising of a new generation, who was, him, who was he among them that would be that wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father? They were hopeful that it was going to come in that generation. If you look at religions of the world, how many of them? I would say almost all of them, with the exception of faith in Christ and, and, and the, the Jews in a kind of tangential but have activities and have works and have actions that they do studiously and that they do religiously with hopes that it will bring about a redemptive end. That with hope it would give, fingers crossed I guess is another, another way to think about it, that I will have worked hard enough, that I will have been good enough, that I will have done enough, given enough, sacrificed enough, so that in the end, hopefully, I'll find redemption. We know that that's not the path or the plan that God had laid out for us. know that that's not the plan that He ushered in with His Son and, and the, the hope that we're speaking about here with Advent. In Romans 8, I'd like to read some verses from from Romans 8. And maybe we'll start. Let's start with verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. You don't have to turn there, just listen with me. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which hath been revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was not made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected him, excuse me, who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but, he, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? For if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience Wait for it. 
Do I live, do we live hopeful lives in Christ? Sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder why this word hope is used even in the New Testament. Because it compares so closely and it, it, it follows this line so clearly or closely, I guess I'll use that word again, to the Old Testament, dare I even say wishful thinking, that I believe we often get confused as to what our expectation as believers should be. I, I need to read you another verse. In 1 Peter 1, we all know this one. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day, or last time, excuse me. Lively hope. I'm going to give you two examples. I do not know if this, is, I, I didn't look up if this was a definition or not, but descriptively, I feel like it works. Lively hope versus purgatorial hope. And I don't, we don't have any Catholics in the room, so you may not, I hope I'm not offending anybody. But purgatory is that thing that we hear about where you're in this limbo state. Not knowing where you're going, it's, it's in Catholic theology, but not knowing where you're going and kind of work yourself toward heaven as opposed to stumbling the other direction. But there's a hope, even for those that, even for your family, as you pray for this person that is in purgatory, this hope that you could overcome and, and be found, uh, found in heaven. And what I was thinking of as I, as I was contemplating on this was, how much of the world lives in this purgatorial hope? lives in a state of unknown hope. We're really hoping, and I'm going to use hope a lot today, we're really hoping that we can live lives that will satisfy God's requirements for them, for us, I'll use us in there, satisfy the requirements to take us out of this unknown state, to take us out of this trying state that we're in, and translate us into a heavenly place, into eternity with Him. Translate us into an eternal reward. The Catholics will do this. The Jews will do this to a large extent. The Muslims will do this. They live in this uncertain state, working and working and working and trying to figure out what else can I do to win my way out of this state and hopefully attain to this mark that God's called us to. But then when we read in Romans... We read that we're saved by hope. We read that we're saved by hope, and then in Hebrews we read something a little bit different, or I shouldn't say different, but just perhaps a clearer spin. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I propose to you that our faith is our hope, is that hope in action. 
is that being those that have been redeemed, accepting the gift of God, accepting His redemptive work in our lives, and being empowered by His Holy Spirit, we're not hoping for things to come. We've experienced what God's gift is. We've experienced redemption already. We've experienced His empowerment here. And we live with grateful anticipation of eternity with Him. But it starts here. That lively hope starts here and indwells us. The question that I was left with was how often is the lively hope that I'm supposed to have cooled down, washed out, or overwhelmed by this world's purgatorial hope? How many instances in our lives, how many places in our lives do we live in this state where we conform to the model of the world where we're just going to try to work our way out of this better, work our way out of this situation into something better. As opposed to yielding our lives to the Lord, surrendering whatever that is to the Lord and allowing Him to give us the hope of eternal life, to give us the hope and expectation of a life to come. We pride ourselves at times on just buckling down and, and working as hard as we can through some whatever it is. And yet what was asked was for surrender. Surrender to, to hand over any of these things, that the sin that does so easily beset us, or the trial of our faith. Yes, it works patience, but being able to hand over these things that that would stand before us and give them to the Lord and recognize that it's not a hopefully He will take care of these things. But because of the empowerment of the Spirit that He has placed in our lives, that we can with confidence look to His victory. That we can with confidence look to His peace and to know that there is eternity before us. I think of Simeon and Anna. These two folks that had waited for the Messiah for their entire lives. Spent time in the temple daily, going. You think they got up in the morning and said, well, hopefully today's the day. Days when they probably didn't feel that well. Didn't feel like they could get out of bed. Didn't feel like it was worth going. You know what? The Messiah would not come on a day like this. It's kind of dank outside. It's a little drizzly. It would be much more comfortable to go and stay, stay at home, stay in bed, I'll go back to the temple tomorrow when the sun's bright and everything's shining and, and everything's positive. But no, their lively hope, their expectation, their commitment and confidence that what God said would come yielded to that obedience that they would go every day and that they would be gratefully anticipating His coming. When I look at a world around me, I look at a world that looks so depressed and so frustrated. I mean, I had, an, I had a meeting that in many ways was one of the most positive meetings I've had in a long time. Well, I'll be honest, it was a job interview. I had a job interview. The folks that saw me after the job interview said that I was in a pretty good mood. I was excited. I was really excited about this interview. But even in the interview, 
one of the gentlemen I met said, well, the forecast is phenomenal. Or project, all the projections are great. Except if the economy does this and inflation does that and, you know, the backlog that we've got could go up in smoke. So who knows, but we're really positive. I mean, in, in the best sense, in the best conversation you could have with somebody, there is still cold water that will get poured on it. And everyone's hopeful that things will change. But the question that I've been, I've been left with is it is not a function of us. Um, how do I, I'm saying this incorrectly. The question that I've been left with is how can I, how can we live our lives with a lively hope projecting the world and showing to the world the hope that lies within us, the, the gift of salvation that we've received, the peace with God that we have and that God wants to have with everyone else. How can I live with that hope and focus in the forefront of my life and not and making sure that I not be discouraged, distracted, pulled aside with this earthly view of we don't know what the future brings. I think that's a generational question that's happened many, many times throughout life. But in our day and age, it's, it's probably, I don't want to say it's more important than it ever has been before, but it's just as important as it ever has been before that we can testify as His children, that we can testify that our Our joy in the season, our joy in looking at a Christmas season is not just because we're looking for a respite from the rest of the world. We had this conversation with my, my kids, one in particular, over the last couple of months. We We were not created by God to live for the weekend. We weren't created by God to just stumble through the week. Let me just get me through this week so that Friday will come. On Easter, we talk about the, the, the story that says, it's Friday, it's Friday, but Sundays are coming. For me, and I would say for the rest of the world, for the last couple of years, when you said Sundays are coming, I'm real excited about Sunday morning, but I did not like Sunday evening. Because the Sunday evening meant Mondays are coming. But we weren't built in condition. God did not create us to just drive for Friday afternoon. And hope that we get through the week. That's purgatorial hope. That's the kind of hope that I'm going to suffer because that's what I'm supposed to do. No, God created us for a lively hope. God created us and redeemed us so that we would be a light shining on a hill that others would look to and say, what's going on there? What is it that, what is it that indwells them? That creates a joy in service, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the winds and the waves and all of the things that might go around us. What is it that causes a, a joy in their hearts, a purpose in their hearts? Where does the hope come from?
I, I don't want to belabor it, and I also don't want to embarrass folks with more stories. But if I, I, one thing that I would in, encourage us, I, I would encourage us, as we look out on a, a Christmas season that's before us, we're, we've just begun the season with gratefulness, with thankfulness for all of the gifts that we've been blessed with. And we have a choice. We have a choice if we want to be those that live on the Old Testament side of the book. If we want to live on the Old Testament side and commiserate about how it's been 740 years and still no Messiah. 740 years we've been preaching the same thing. They've been saying the same thing and still nothing has happened. And for a lifetime, as Simeon and Anna, for a lifetime sitting here, coming to the temple every day, looking for a child, looking for the child to be born, hoping with eternal hope that he would come and that he would be there to be the redemption of the world. Or do we want to be those? But if we hope for that which we have not seen, then we do with patience wait for it. I'm stumbling, as to, struggling with the right words to, to describe this. When we feel discouraged, when we feel frustrated with the world around us, I think we often need to remind ourselves to be quiet for a second and recognize that the eternal hope, that the promise that God has given us as his children, we've already begun to experience his eternal hope. Eternity started here already. Living in the Spirit is that piece of heaven that we get to experience right now. And if that does not give me hope, if that doesn't give me purpose, then I need some reevaluation in my life. I need some recalibration. I need to recognize that I'm not living in that purgatorial side of the page. Hope has started already. The promise is being fulfilled. That should give me purpose. That should, here we go, lots more of them, hope. That should give me hope, but also gives me a responsibility gives me a responsibility to share with the rest of the world of where does that hope come from? Where does the purpose come from? When you say God has all things in His hands, where does that knowledge come from? Where does that peace come from? When you tell your kids it's going to be fine, it's going to be a good day. Like we sing couple years ago and had to remind ourselves, he's got the whole world in his hands. When we try to tell that to the world around us and we do it with confidence, where does that confidence come from? It comes from the lively hope that indwells us because of the gift of salvation that the Lord has given us. It started with a baby in a manger. I, I, this, we're looking at Christmas songs, right? We're, we're going to looking at Christmas songs for the kids to sing and hopefully maybe one or two that we can sing as, as adults too. And I have really been drawn in recent years to, uh, dare I say, atypical Christmas songs. 
I love Christmas songs that have, I'm going to call it an, an eternity transition to them. Like Joy to the World. We know, I think now we've all kind of established, Joy to the World is, is, is not really a Christmas song. It's a second coming song. And we can, not that we're going to fight about that, but just read the words. Those songs that refer to second coming, those songs that refer to Christ as the Redeemer returning, I love these that kind of combine the two of them. And I was listening to one last night that refers to these verses in, uh, in Isaiah and talking about God being a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. None of those things talk about a baby. And so while I am overjoyed for the Christmas season, and I'm excited more than I've been excited for Christmas in a long time, in a really long time, and I'm thankful for that, but I'm also recognizing that that brings with it some responsibility. That if I'm going to be excited about the season, I better not fall back into the the temptation of just trying to fulfill the hopes and dreams of my kids with their wish list but that somehow I can project and teach them and, and show them and lead them in a deeper understanding of what this season really means. When we talk about the hope of the season, the joy of the season, the peace that comes, that these are not just things that God gave us on a little baby, but that by providing His Son to come to this earth and to usher in the plan of salvation, gave us the opportunity of our choosing to be His children and to be empowered by His Spirit and to live lives of lively hope that would be beacons to the rest of the world. We pray that we could all have that message on our hearts this, this Christmas season.